And good evening. This is the Tech Travel Geeks podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matteo, Chief Mobile Opinionist. And today I'm with Lukash, our Chief Aperture Officer. Good evening, Lukash. Hey, Matteo. How's it going? Good, good, thanks. In this early November week, uh, we have another awesome guest. So uh, please welcome to the Tech Travel Geeks podcast, Catherine McAnulty. Good evening, Kate. Hi. Hi, Mateo and Lukash. How are you guys doing? Good, good, thanks. Thank you for joining us on the podcast to talk about yourself. <laughs> uh, no problem. Long time no see. Exactly. Um, to give our listeners a bit of context, Catherine is a colleague of ours in the Edinburgh office, and we work together day by day and often are on very similar calls to this. Yeah. Um, so let's just keep the day rolling and find out who Kate McAnulty is. Kate, tell um, us about yourself. Who are you? Yeah, no problem. Um, Kate, thank you. I go by Kate, not Catherine. I'm from Norfolk, Virginia, uh, born and raised there. I went to college in uh, Roanoke, Virginia, worked my first year out of college in Richmond, Virginia. So I have a lot to say about the state of Virginia if there are any questions coming up. Um, and yeah, after my first year out of university, I think I just thought if I kept working the same job I was working, I really liked it, that I would maybe stay there forever. So I uh, applied for graduate school in Galway, moved there for a year, came to Edinburgh for the summer. Uh, I just wanted to be a part of the film festival. And that was 10 years ago. I never left. Um, I should say my, my father's from Belfast, Northern Ireland, so I have uh, dual citizenship, two passports. I was able to do that quite easily. Um, I, I know it's a lot harder for most people. <laughs> Very good. So you moved from Virginia, USA, which mm -hmm. is on which coast? The East Coast. I'm in the southeastern part of the state. Um, and then I went to college in the West, lived in the middle for a year. So besides the northern part, I've done it. Very good. And so you've moved from Virginia to Europe. And you're now settled in Edinburgh. Yes. Correct. What's the thing you miss the most from Virginia, apart from family, pets, friends? Ooh, um, Oprah. That's a good question. Because <laughs> uh, it changes all the time. Um, I guess I would. There's some movies that don't come out here that I'll, I'll miss when that happens. Uh, in the summer, it never gets really hot here. Um, we have beautiful weather, but there is something about like kind of opening the door from an AC, just that blast of heat for a second. It feels good. It pretty quickly starts to feel awful, but there is like a second. And I, I sort of, I went home this summer um, and I don't often, it was only, I think twice I've done that in the last 10 years. Um, and so I, I kind of found myself like kind of just like popping outside really quick and back in. Just, I like feeling that contrast. Um, so that's something. I'm sure once this podcast is over, I'll think of many things better than that. Very good. Peanut butter aisle in the grocery store. How about that? that that's a very good okay. one. So apart from peanut butter and that feeling of warmth, uh, <laughs> is Norfolk, Virginia sort of humid climate or is it a slightly drier one? My understanding uh, is that it's on the coast. Yeah, it's really humid. Um, so the summer we get like big thunderstorms and then it's um, it feels like kind of steam coming off the street. Uh, so it's almost worse when it rains, like a dry heat, I think would be 
more comfortable. Um, and then because of those thunderstorms, we get a lot of mosquitoes as well. Um, so while I said that the heat was the thing I missed, it, it's, it can be pretty miserable too. <laughs> so you prefer, prefer Scotland's coldish damp? I do, but uh, here, when we have a nice day, you're hot inside because nobody is like really AC. So, you know, it's a give and take. It's give and no take. Word's perfect. Very good. And how how did you travel from Virginia to Ireland the first time? I took a one-way, $276 Aer Lingus flight, only four movies, and my headset did not work. Uh, I flew from Washington, D.C., Dulles to Shannon, and then I took a bus to Galway. Excellent. I remember it well. <laughs> it was a big <laughs> deal at the time. So you got a one-way ticket f uh, to Ireland. Mm -hmm. And then you said you're in Belfast. How long were you in Belfast for? Um, so Belfast was like a transition between Galway and Edinburgh. I think I was probably there three weeks, just like in my aunt's guest bedroom. Um, so she probably wishes that I was there less. And I was just trying to kind of find somewhere to sublet for like a month in Edinburgh because I really didn't. I knew I was going to go for the film festival. Um, but I didn't know beyond that. Uh, so I wasn't looking for long-term housing, but I think it's it was sort of difficult uh, from afar, trying to find somewhere that would like trust you to show up and pay them. Um, but I managed to get done at the end. I never really knew how many people lived in that flat though. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was before the days of Airbnb and easy, easy accommodation on yeah, the internet. Yeah, I mean, I still had the internet, but, um, yeah, I think I was like sending people messages on Craigslist and, or uh, Gumtree. Sorry. Very good. So you're you're now settled in Edinburgh. You work with Lukesh and I in a company that handles travel in yeah. a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. And do you travel apart from visits home that you've mentioned? Yeah, I do. Um, <clears throat> the visits home can be expensive. Uh, so I did go home this summer, like I said, but. Um, my family managed to find a place more uncomfortable than uh, Virginia in the summer. And we went to South Georgia, but on the way we went to Savannah, which was a really cool city and I'd never been before. And they had a lot of shade. So it kind of made it bearable. Um, and then um, mostly around Europe. Uh, I am a big tennis fan. So I, I'll go to tournaments and um, things like that. And so, and then just kind of a lot of the obvious places where you find a cheap trip on your easy jets or flybees. Very good. So you you mentioned you're a tennis fan. Where's the place you think is best for watching tennis live, traveling to? So um, I love Wimbledon. I grew up, that was on in the mornings, um, and I was a swimmer, so I would uh, get home and that would be on TV. And we called it like breakfast with Wimbledon back home. Uh, and so that was another one of my goals when I um, came over for the film festival was to, you know, go to Wimbledon. And I actually didn't make it that year. So maybe that's part of the reason why I stayed. Uh, but in terms that, so that has a lot of the tradition. Um, it's just, it's beautiful there. I think even a non-tennis fan would have an amazing day. Um, but I think if someone wanted to, you know, more of a sporting atmosphere, probably the U.S. Open's really loud. Um, noisy it's bigger stadiums so it depends on what you want the davis cup has a really great atmosphere 
I recommend anyone in Edinburgh, um, if there's a match in Glasgow to go, they are really well supported. So is the Davis Club always played in Glasgow or is it something that uh, is rooming? It changes the, location. The Davis Cup um, totally is changing its format now. Um, but the way it used to be was um, when a team, when teams played each other, who ever played last, um, it was the other teams in, in their home country and they got to pick the venue, the surface. And because Andy Murray and Jamie Murray are kind of such a big deal, uh, they often play in Glasgow because they get so much support. That's good. So yeah. Davis Cup, ten, the Tennis Davis Cup uh, is a good thing if you're passionate about tennis. It's a good excuse to travel around Europe and the world. Yeah, uh, definitely. Kate, so you've mentioned the Edinburgh uh, Festival. Uh, can you tell our viewers and listeners a bit more uh, about both the film festival and the uh, the general f festival in Edinburgh? Yeah, sure. Uh, the so the Fringe Festival is huge. It happens the whole month of August every year. Um, and I think the population of Edinburgh doubles. There's hundreds of shows every day, mostly comedy. But I mean, you can find kind of anything your heart desires, really. And sort of everywhere becomes a venue. Um, like I've seen shows that are just put on like in public restrooms. Uh, but the film festival, I think it used to be part of the fringe, but when I moved here, it had already separated and it's just two weeks in June. Um, and I mean, it's, it's really awesome. Like the people they get, uh, the opening films. And I've always been surprised by the amount of people that don't even really kind of realize that what's happening and it's going on. Um, but when I came, I came to work for it. So, um, and then even after that first year for a few years afterwards, I volunteered. And uh, when you're into it, if you buy tickets or if you help volunteer with them, I mean, it kind of feels like it's taking over the city, but I've, I've received feedback that most people aren't even aware of it. But uh, yeah, it's two weeks of the year, like, you know, movie stars are in the city and you kind of feel like you get to show it off. It's really audience driven as well. So um, you can get a ticket to anything. It's not just for like the press. That's excellent. Yeah, the Edinburgh really gets taken over by by tourists, especially in August. Uh, it it can become quite crazy. Um, but do you have any any stories with celebrities or any any other stars uh, when you volunteered or worked for them? Yeah, uh, I do actually. Um, so uh, some of the bigger ones. Um, so I can't even remember. Since last year, no, it was the year before last. Uh, Kevin Bacon and his. Um, wife who uh kira sedgwick uh were both here and they did a live talk and they showed one of his older films and i went to that but then she actually directed a film and it played at the cinema um, near my house and it's somewhere where i go all the time and it was completely sold out and it was her first time directing and i think she like brought her mom over and I, you could tell that it was probably one of like the great nights of her life and just to think that it was like, you know, in your neighborhood, somewhere where you go all the time. Um, and then I think the big one for me was John Krasinski one year, his film opened and I was a big fan of The Office. Um, and so I walked by him, he did a little talk beforehand, um, but just seeing him kind of not on and just talking to like regular cinema workers, I thought that was pretty cool. And 
Um, but there've been a lot, like every year there's in-person talks and I really recommend it. I, I mean, the film festival, I don't think tourists really come for that. So um, it's more for the city of Edinburgh. I would say the film festival is also, it's an industry event. So all the industry insiders do travel to Edinburgh. They do stay here for the pre-film festival, after the film festival. Some of them just live here for a few months if they're they're flexible and there's any filming they're working on uh, in Scotland. So, yeah, film festival is a great thing. Uh, we obviously, with all the festivals, in ed cultural festivals in Edinburgh during the summer months, uh, some of us prefer to work from home because our commutes or even just getting to our modes of transport can uh, the timing of it can be extended yeah do you have that problem Catherine? i'm or... pretty lucky um i walk through the meadows so i'll get you know a lot of flyers uh handed to me but beyond that um where i live in edinburgh it's not I, there's a few venues but it's not anything like i've heard stories of people who live on or off the royal mile who are uh, trying to get into their flat are getting screamed at by people who are standing in line for a show and think that the person's like trying to jump the queue. Um, so I don't have to deal with that. Or the trains, I assume, are pretty bad. So you haven't faced Greyfriars Bobby rage? I think I probably have like the odd day at lunch, but um, for the most part, I, I think it's when it's the, the fringe near the end and it's raining and um, you can see that people had come and like, you know, full of their dreams and maybe that hasn't been happening and they're just like trying to kind of break even, which I don't think really even the best do. Um, and it starts to get a little bit like, like dreary, but for the most part, it's wonderful. I get really into like all the food trucks that uh, show up. And yes. The, the street. That, um, yeah. Like, um, you know, parks that are, you don't really ever go into like the book festival, that park is closed the whole year. And then during the book festival, it's like bars are built and it's pretty great. Yeah, um, if you haven't been to Edinburgh, the best time to do it is any time between the middle of June and the end of August. Uh, if you are here at the end of August or very beginning of September, there's also great fireworks display on at the castle. And that's part of the Edinburgh International Festival, which is yes, yet another cultural one. Uh, yeah, that's great too. I always like kind of um, push that in with the fringe, but that, uh, you know, some just like the main world's best musicians and operas and plays. I, I think uh, the best theater I've ever seen in Edinburgh has always come with that. It's come over from other places. That's great. So um, obviously you traveled here, you liked Edinburgh, you settled down. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it, Lukash? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've done the same. Well, I came here just for, for a year or two, I think, but I came for work. Um, and, uh, yeah, I over, overstayed my, uh, initial welcome. Um, and after spending, uh, a week in a 10 person dorm, I decided it's fun <laughs> just after getting married. So that was, that was, uh, a perfect, um, perfect time. Um, so yeah. Very good. So, um, obviously we've spoken about virginia you tr you've traveled here you travel around europe for the tennis 
Um, I seem to remember you mentioned to us that you've recently been to see the tennis somewhere a bit further out than Europe. Where's the the other recent place you've been where you've watched tennis? So I went to the China Open, uh, which is in Beijing. That's part of the Asia Swing. Um, I knew I was going to China. I decided I would kind of combine the two. Um, it was between that and the Shanghai Open. And what I didn't know beforehand was the the, the China Open in Beijing uh, corresponded with the national holiday of China. So it was very crowded, but it was a wonderful tournament. Um, and I did, yeah, I got to, I wasn't sure if I would get it there because um, you couldn't pay without a Chinese credit card. So I actually kind of had to journey there. It was like the Olympic Village, but it was uh, pretty far outside of city center. Um, and just kind of crossed my fingers and hoped that it would work. And it did. It was fine. Good. So you've recently, very good. You've been to China recently. Mm -hmm. um, and how long were you in China for? I was there a little less than two weeks. So I think like 12 days. I think I made 13, 12 days. It was couple or travel they don't really count I guess <laughs> so like 12 days in China so you mentioned you're in Beijing uh, were you also in Shanghai I was also in Shanghai yeah so I did the two big cities once I found out that uh, I was going during the the holiday uh, all of the recommendations were avoid tourist places um, avoid avoid small touristy towns avoid uh, avoid the train so I it definitely um, altered the way I traveled, but I actually kind of think in a good way because uh, there was so much to see in both of those cities and maybe I would have kind of tried to rush them by trying yeah. to do day trips. I almost, uh, we almost met in China, right? I was yeah. there a week before you, I think. Yeah, I waited for you on the wall and uh, never showed up. Uh, sorry, I, I, I must have gone the, the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I miss the, the craziness of the, of the holiday season. Uh, but I, then I saw some footage from my, my friend went to Hong Kong and, they, uh, and she saw some amazing uh, fireworks. Uh, did you get to see any, any of that uh, in China? I sure didn't. Um, the fireworks. <laughs> I, I did it. I, I didn't even hear any. Um, I actually, somebody, uh, one of my friends before I left asked someone in China, so it's your national holiday. Is there anything like cool going on? Any festivals? And they just replied, no. <laughs> the one word answer. Um, so I, I've, to my knowledge, besides the thousands of people, uh, there wasn't anything. It wasn't like the festival where it was, it was just they were there to see uh, you know, the Great Wall, Tiananmen Square. And so I, uh, the way I actually traveled was I flew to Beijing. I had a few days there. Then I went to Shanghai. Um, I had a few days there before the madness. The madness started in Shanghai. And then I went back to Beijing. And during those periods in both cities, I was sure to already have done like the big kind of touristy things that I wanted to do. So I was more like a little bit off the beaten track. Um, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm kind of, in a way, thankful that it happened that way. Yeah, from what I understand, what what it looks like is uh, they just have free time and they want to see their families, so they go back to their hometowns, they, they meet together with their with their relatives, and um, they just relax. They 
don't don't have any sp special um, events, but that's that's good good for for them. Yeah. Well, I was also them. thinking like uh, just it's like Americans kind of at Christmas time going to New York, you know, or uh, mm -hmm. going to Disney World. Those places oh, July. are uh, pretty miserable at that time of the year, and it's just just because you're from that country doesn't mean you live in that city and you don't want to see the same tourist sites that um, you and I came all the way from Scotland to see. So, um, but yeah, I heard from other tourists that didn't even know about the holiday until they got there, and they weren't able to get tickets um, to things. So, I you know I kind of can't really imagine that feeling of you're probably depending on how far you traveled not gonna make it back maybe but uh and so you just think like oh i hope i guess the forbidden city is great i don't know um yeah so well the, the good news is travel to china is becoming much much easier nowadays uh mm -hmm. it's not only more affordable but also much more accessible tourist visas are much easier to get uh the travel within China, so you don't have to fly everywhere. You can uh, get trains, from what I mm -hmm. understand. Uh, how did you get between Beijing and Shanghai? So I took the train from Beijing to Shanghai. Uh, that was before the holiday started. And then I flew back because um, I just thought that would... I heard that uh, trains get frequently canceled, and I just thought, it's probably if that was to happen um less of a hassle at the airport and it, it turned out i mean i don't know how the, the train station would have been but the airport was completely fine i got there way earlier than necessary um and i mean just in terms of accessibility i took uh the direct flight from edinburgh to beijing I mean, that's a new thing that they're doing um and so it really i was expecting the travel to feel so long but it actually wasn't that bad it was like 10 or 11 hours i thought so who, who, what what airline is that direct edinburgh to beijing flight with uh yeah i might be pronouncing it wrong it's Hainan. is that correct lukash is that correct yeah Hainan airlines or okay. yeah i'm not sure how to pronounce it but yes that's that's mm -hmm. the airline mm -hmm. i think they actually go dublin edinburgh edinburgh beijing <laughs> <laughs> nice. I I flew with uh, Air France KLM uh, uh, via via Amsterdam. So I, I prefer pref I usually prefer to stop over somewhere uh, mm -hmm. at least for a couple of hours. Ideally, like for a day or two, so that my um, my jet lag doesn't kick in and I can I can you know have, have a bit of a break. Um, but yeah, that that should be interesting. I kind of like embrace the jet lag. Like I've we'll go to bed at 4 p.m. <laughs> I just want to get there and kind of like check in. Um, and my flight actually arrived earlier than advertised. So I was in the airport in Beijing at like 3.30 in the morning, just kind of hanging out, waiting for the subway to open. Um, so I guess that wasn't ideal. But <laughs> yeah, I've had so many um, in my life, like, delayed connections where you're just sitting somewhere you had no intention of being and it's something i never do which uh mateo you seem to like is the you go through amsterdam so you'll go to america but via amsterdam and so you're further away than when you started and i kind of hate that feeling 
Yes, um, obviously that's mostly down to my lifetime loyalty for KLM and in in relation to that, to Sky Team as mm-hmm. an audience. But for me, it's just convenient. I've also got to know Amsterdam Airport pretty well. Um, I don't need to really stop and look at signs anymore. I know my way from the deep ear where the Edinburgh flights tend to land to the lounge. I know to the lounge how long it will be to which whichever gate I need to get to. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not only a loyalty thing, it's also quite convenient at this point. Would you do it in another airport? Um, if, would you do it in Charles de Gaulle? Um, I do do that with, in Charles de Gaulle, but uh, not always out of choice. It's mainly because it's the most convenient time for the flights. Uh, and they're part of the same alliance, so sometimes it is... Uh, just as convenient. Also, from from an architectural standpoint, I think Charles de Gaulle is a pretty amazing airport. It is, but I have, you know, unexpectedly spent 12 hours there. And, um, you know, when I'm traveling, I don't necessarily want to be like looking at Louis Vuitton handbags. Um, I give me a boots or something. I don't. Just, so I just remember walking around like where I think they gave me a voucher for a free sandwich and I couldn't find a sandwich. Like it was all <laughs> fancy restaurants. No, no sandwich. Oh dear. I eventually track them That's down. I'm sure. Very un-French. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, uh, so we, you going back to China. So you, you traveled to China and you said you got the Metro. Uh, what was the language barrier like? So the Metro is incredibly uh, easy in both of those cities to use. There's the option to hit English and then it's just totally user-friendly. I, I think it's easier than um, like the New York subway system. Um, it, it just was pretty straightforward. Uh, the language barrier in terms of, especially in Beijing, speaking it to anyone outside of a hotel or a tour group, was pretty hard. Uh, I I didn't, you know, I did a lot of pointing um, and incorrectly ordering. Uh, I took screenshots of things sometimes and just showed. Um, but it was it was a bit better in uh, Shanghai. Uh, but yeah, I I really only learned um, hello and thank you. Um, and, you know, I got back okay. Another uh, very versatile uh, word or thing that uh, our guests on the podcast have said is useful is uh, two beers. Can you say two beers in Chinese? In I can't say two but uh, I think I would have to learn how to say, like, no, thank you, beer. I'm not a fan. Oh, <laughs> that's a shame. <laughs> so um, let's move this on to the tech side of the podcast. Mm-hmm. What did you take with to, to China with you, what do you like to travel with in terms of tech or low tech stuff? What's what's in your bag? What are the, the staples in your so bag? I have a Kindle. Um, it's very convenient for just the weight purposes of wanting to read while you travel, but not having three big books. Um, and so I had that with me. That was great. Um, I had an iPad, which I didn't really use um but i downloaded stuff from netflix that i just kind of never really watched to our my recollection um 
I had a phone that you lent me. Thank you very much. I think I was mostly on that. Uh, and then I also have, I still have an iPod, uh, which I, that's what I use for music and uh, podcasts. Um, so I was walking around the city just kind of with my own like China playlist. And that's it, I think. What's the phone, Mateo? Uh, that was specifically the Huawei Honor 10. So yeah, very, very good camera. camera. Thank you. The shiny one with a good camera. So uh, it's a it's a lovely, lovely device. Um, I'm currently working on uh, having a look at what the new Android update does on it and what new features come to it because they've recently improved the camera software. No changes to the hardware. It now does four-second exposures night, uh, handheld at night, which is something, Lukash, I believe you've been playing around with uh, on the Mate 20 Pro. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good feature. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that must be uh, a, a big upgrade for the Honor 10. Yes, and it's also testament to the fact that if you can have good software updates, maybe there's no need for new hardware. But we'll see how that works out. This is currently a beta version. We'll see how, what the, the final release is like in a few weeks' time. So you took the Honor 10 to, to China. Did you use something like Google Translate whilst you were there? I had it on there, um, I think, like, maybe once or twice. I honestly... <laughs> I traveled alone. I didn't do a lot of talking. Uh, I just did a lot of kind of walking around in my own world, uh, pointed at things when necessary. And yeah, I think I think it was like very end too, like one of the last couple of days when I kind of needed it a couple of times. Um, the pointing wasn't working. Uh, but yeah, I had that on there. I had uh, the app for whatever their version of Uber is. Um, and I didn't use that either. I mean, both the subways were so good. And Lukash, what, what was your, your experience with Google Translate? Or did you have an even easier time on your tour recently? Yeah, I was lucky enough to have a tour guide. So I traveled with uh, a local Chinese person. He was from Xi'an. Um, and most of the time he was around. So so he could help us. He organized all the all the... Uh, visits to uh, different uh, places. Uh, one one time we tried going to uh, to a restaurant without the guide and tried to order some uh, rice wine, which was something that the the guide uh, recommended, which is very strong. I think it's like forty percent uh, alcohol, uh, and um, my my. Uh, uh, friends from the trip were having issues ordering it because it didn't help saying wine and rice. It, they, they just didn't understand it. It's more like vodka than, than than wine. So I don't think we got this at that time. And I didn't have VPN uh, during that time because um, the VPN I was trying co to connect to uh, would, would re wouldn't let me in. Uh, so my VPN started working only like two days later. Mm -hmm. um, so no, no luck at that time. Yeah, I had issues. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say I had issues the first couple of days with ordering. I kept ending up with either the wrong thing or just I would order a couple things and only like half of it would come. Um, but yeah, eventually I sort of seemed to get it down. 
Very good. And did you did you use uh, a VPN whilst you were in China, Kate? Yeah, I used uh, the Ex Express VPN. I did the thirty day free, <laughs> and it worked wonderfully. Um, you know, every every now and then it would go down, but uh, I was expecting to have more trouble. I think I was really thinking I was going to get over there, and everything that everybody said was like imperative to have that it just wouldn't work, um, and that wasn't an issue really. Um, so we have received reports, not only from people uh, who have traveled to China recently, but also from ExpressVPN themselves about issues with using this uh, VPN service in China. Uh, Lucas, do you want to tell us more about that? Uh, yeah, quite recently, just a few days ago, I think I, I, I actually received an email from, from them saying, uh, they were having some issues uh, connecting users uh, within China, uh, but I think it was quickly resolved. Uh, from what I know, they use Tor, uh, which is um, oh, part of the dark net. Uh, this is a distributed peer-to-peer -peer, uh, VPN, uh, which provides probably the highest uh, security, uh, but uh, has been used in the past for uh, different purposes than uh, not not necessarily legal. Uh, so they used Tor as one of their backends, and I'm not sure if it was problem with Tor at that time or with uh, their no normal VPN connection, usually to Hong Kong or somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think it it works now. Um, I, I also tried two other VPN services um one was like a broad more, more of a browser extension um and didn't have too much luck but express vpn has been has been fantastic for me mm -hmm. yeah i i didn't have issues with it i did see uh, some of the hotel rooms i stayed in would have like a kind of a letter on the desk that was uh, letting tourists know that uh, those vpns are illegal and <laughs> they shouldn't be used so I just kind of pretended I didn't glance at that. Yes, that's a it's an interesting point. Uh, I'm going to China next week, and uh, I would like to be able to share uh, some of the my experiences on social media, and also with uh, family in family and friends in Europe. So uh, I will be trying out different solutions and reporting back on how they work. I'm also going to try a little experiment on setting up my own one on my home internet connection and seeing how that works. So leaving on a, a little server and seeing how that performs. But we'll, we'll see. Uh, that's all coming up on Tech Travel Geeks at some point. Uh, so Catherine, what was the highlight of your trip to China, apart from the tennis? Um, definitely the, I think the, the little kind of tours that I set up to avoid the, the, the masses, um, I took two really excellent, um, food tours that were just like these kind of small things that I found on Airbnb. One, it was just, uh, a local guide, a young guy, um, and me and a, another man, um, and kind of got to go down all these like like back streets little neighborhoods in Shanghai that I wouldn't have seen and just eat kind of like the most amazing dumplings that were being sold by you know seems like somebody's grandmother out of her kitchen window um and then the same in Beijing it was a, it was a 
bigger group. There were like 10 or 12 of us. Um, and it was two, again, like two just guides. And that was some of the best food I ate on the whole trip. The, my last night I went back and uh, one of the restaurants and one of the exact same meals. And I just thought, I want that to be my last meal in China. I want to make sure I kind of go out with a bang. Um, and then the most fun I had, I would say, is um, I did a nighttime cycling tour in Shanghai that was absolutely ridiculous. And it was, there was no safety whatsoever. It was one crazy guide, me and two like German businessmen. Um, it was supposed to be three hours. She decided that she wanted to go four and a half. Uh, <laughs> and it was just her weaving us in between buses and um, pedestrians up on the sidewalk, uh, mopeds flying by. Um, and the first 20 minutes of that were probably like the scariest experience of my life. And then, I don't know, I just came over like this overwhelming peace and um, I just trusted her for some reason <laughs> and I went for it. Um, and I, that was a blast. Um, it was, and I feel like I saw Shanghai like way more than I would have had I not done that. Good. So, so you saw Shanghai along with your life story from birth to to that bus. Yeah, I so saw my life flashed before my eyes, and I was like, "Yeah, it's not that interesting. I better like kind of shake things up here." <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what a way! It's a better way to go out than you know, just walking across the street. Very good. And so, you, you mentioned that this was a, a an Airbnb experience. How did you find the whole looking for experiences and and tours and uh, guides on Airbnb and how did you how did you go about it did you do it whilst you're in China or did you do it before you went to China I did it before I um I was really kind of worried about the uh busy holiday that they were having um all of the feedback and advice I was getting was Nobody was telling me anything reassuring. You know, I would ask uh, somebody or read a message board and I would say, is it really as bad as they say? And people would be like, no, it's worse than you could imagine. Um, and so I thought I really have to kind of schedule things in. Um, and so I, I think originally was looking at Airbnb for places to stay. Um, and that's when I saw the experiences. I didn't even know they did that. Uh, and I found them all great. I did four, um, those three that I just mentioned. And then I also did like a calligraphy class and just like this local artist studio. Um, that turned out to be kind of funny because I think it was for a younger demographic and definitely a Chinese one. <laughs> uh, so, but I, I got through it. Um, and again, it was in a neighborhood that I would not have seen or found or gone to probably had I not done that. And the people were lovely. I think, unless they were saying something rude that I didn't understand. Uh, but yeah, I, I really recommend it. Um, especially the food tours, I have now been looking even in Edinburgh uh, at doing some and just cities back home that I uh, frequently go to where friends live, like just something to do that's different. Um, I, th I thought they were a lot of fun and you meet people and eat things you would never order otherwise. So can can anyone start a, a tour like this, or do you need some some permissions? I think you do. I think you need permissions because. Uh, so I think what I gathered, I what I didn't know really what they were when I signed up, but um, when I was talking to other people that were doing them, they didn't sign up through Airbnb, and um, the 
the some of the people that were newer were really um, kind of enthusiastic about us leaving reviews because I think they have to maintain something to be, you know, it's, I don't think anybody can just cruise people through the streets of Shanghai <laughs> on a bike, although it did feel like that. It felt like I, I was just following a random person. Um, but I gave her five stars. <laughs> Very good. I'm sure that was was appreciated. Yeah. Um, no, I had fun. So, a top tip for our listeners: if you're looking for experiences and to really really live the Airbnb value of living like a local or experiencing a place like a local, Airbnb do experiences as well as accommodation, um, ranging from cookery courses to calligraphy courses to walking tours to cycling tours. It's quite an interesting thing. And I'm currently looking through uh, different foods tours of Guangzhou. Mm -hmm. uh, for, um, we're still deciding on that. We're mm -hmm. firming up our itinerary. Uh, the good news is that uh, both Candice and I have now have multiple entry visas to China. And we're going to be on the Pearl River, River Delta. So we're going to be in the area of Shenzhen, Guangzhou, uh, Zhuhai, Macau, Hong Kong. Uh, so plenty of opportunities to do stuff. Uh, it, I'll, we'll do our best to, to, to see and do as much as possible whilst we're there. We're there for 10 days. So okay. that's going to be fun. And Airbnb is definitely one place we're shopping around for experiences with local guides. Yeah, because the tours I did, um, like it's the Great Wall, that was more just to get there. Um, they stopped at places along the way. It was fine, but um, I, you know, you didn't really get a sense that someone was really wanting to show you their city. It was kind of like we'll pick you up at your hotel and drop you off at the Great Wall, and you get back on the bus at this time. Um, I did a tour the first day of just kind of like the the Beijing hits because <laughs> uh, I knew that was the only time I and that was a smaller group. Um, and that, I liked that one a lot, but yeah, I think a lot of the tours are just sort of the, we'll get you there and get you in and get you back to your hotel safely. Awesome. But we, we got a really important question from our, one of our viewers slash listeners, uh, certain Virginia, um, who, who, uh, all of us happen to know, uh, she's asking, uh, you to teach us and all, the, all, of, all of our listeners, how to say hello and good and thank you in Chinese. So hello was ni hao, and then thank you was, am I saying this correctly? Xie xie? Xie xie. xie. Mm -hmm. I heard it was say shit twice without the T. <laughs> 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 That's what I think before I say it. Excellent. And I, I can add another very useful one, which I learned earlier this year in China, or. I had already learned, but it was reaffirmed, and it's now ingrained in me, is uh, gambe, which is literally bottoms up. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're drinking uh, and you're being prompted to finish your rice wine or your prune wine is bottoms up. Well, I think I looked up that or, like saying one was he, uh, but I tried to say that for many a food item and we'd get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I was saying it wrong or what. Um, 
I, I think it's just a, a challenge. Ch uh, Mandarin is such a different language from English. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in China earlier this year, it sounded like a bit of something out of a, a, a joke. Uh, a Greek, a Romanian, a Czech, and I walk into a restaurant, mm -hmm. try ordering from the menu with Google Translate, and a few minutes later, the waitress came back to us uh, and said something in Chinese. So we asked her to repeat it into Google Translate on my smartphone, which translated it as, uh, if you are small peasants, it's 24, which meant nothing to her. So we said, OK, no problem. Go ahead. So we gave her a thumbs up. Uh, she went away. And a few minutes later, 24 trays of dim sum arrived. Wow. So. It was actually very pleasant, and I think we, we finished them all. Uh, it was a great experience. But serendipitous of uh, Google Translate making a, a bit of a mess of translating voice. Yeah. But apart from that, in general, it is a good way of, of getting about in China. Google Translate has a great offline functionality. You can cache uh, the functionality of translation of certain languages locally on your device and it will do the that for you not perfectly reminding me um because you showed me a function before i left where uh you, you could hold it up and it would read <laughs> and that only worked for me one time when i was early days beijing trying to look at the dinner options and um it worked on one word and it translated it to acid flour. <laughs> kind of <laughs> didn't continue with that function. But most of the time it would just have the characters kind of like moving around, but they would never settle and translate. Um, so I just had to take to pointing. Um, so yeah, uh, how, 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 how was the Beijing uh, Woodstock experience? I don't know what that is. Well, if you but, had an acid flour. <laughs> yeah, I happened to to visit um, Woodstock, uh, upstate New York. That was quite quite an experience. I've seen a few interesting faces in there. Uh, this is in smiling. Beijing. No, in no, in, in, oh. in upstate New York. Uh, okay. In pro gotcha. proper proper Woodstock. So that was a fun place. Uh, but Kate, we also have another question from the same um, dear listener. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, Virginia is asking uh, for uh, for you to show the, the bag you made for the calligraphy <laughs> class, if you have it around you. You know what, I got some feedback on that bag that it might it doesn't look appropriate. Um, and for that reason, it is, uh, I think, shoved in the bottom of my backpack. It, <laughs> so. Is that is that by any chance a, a localization issue? Um, I I chose the easiest thing um, in uh, in the calligraphy class to put on a canvas bag. I wasn't trying to be a hero and do a dragon or anything, and so it was a symbol. None of the symbols meant something that I like necessarily wanted to carry around. Like you know, the lady would point and sort of say, uh, "Today this would mean police officer or something." <laughs> Just think like. Okay, um, <laughs> don't really want to walk around with that. So there was a symbol that just meant same, um, and it was easy to draw. So I practiced it many times, but apparently it, it looks inappropriate. I didn't notice that, um, and now I can't unnotice it. It's the only thing I see. So what's so is just by localization? Obviously, you're from Virginia, USA. Mm -hmm. Would you call it call it a fanny pack or a bum bag? I would say fanny pack. 
I, I think I learned, I studied abroad in uh, London when I was like 20. Um, and I remember the first day of classes, they had like somebody come in and just tell us some cultural differences. Um, but one of the big things was, uh, yeah, that's not what that means. They said, don't say fanny pack. Um, and then also they said shag isn't a dance. <laughs> but nobody really talks about shagging dancing in the States either. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. Depends so, on how you define dancing. I yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, speak, well, you mentioned Kevin Bacon earlier. I'm sure there's something about dancing in there. Yeah. So, um, okay. I'm, hopefully it's one of our listeners or I'll find out in the next week or so. Uh, how do you say fanny pack or bum bag in Chinese? How do you say it in Mandarin? Um, I will report back on a future episode of the Tech Travel Geeks. Yeah, so, those are coming back in fashion. <laughs> oh, they definitely are. And yeah. if you go on to my favorite Chinese shopping website, aliexpress.com, mm -hmm. uh, you can find lots of different ones. There's even, uh, how to put this, uh, very funny uh, beer belly look-alike fanny pack or bum bag, uh, which is very amusing. Uh, I, I saw it. I'll share that as a link in this YouTube description and in the uh, in the podcast show notes. It just cracked me up. Uh, the the things you can find on AliExpress are often excellent. It's not just phone cases, phone accessories, yeah. wireless chargers. There's all sorts of wonderful things on AliExpress.com. Full disclosure, they are not sponsors of the show. But if Jack Kamaz is listening, please do send us an email. We'd love to work with you. So um, what did you buy in China? Did you do any shopping whilst you were there? Um, I bought three things. I bought a pair of socks for my friend at the China Open um, because uh, one of her favorite players, I got a, like pretty close up. And so I was kind of cruelly sending pictures and taunting her with the fact um, that I was near her boyfriend. And um, <laughs> I went to the world's biggest Starbucks in Shanghai. My mom is a frequent uh, Starbucks goer. And I bought her a tote bag. Um, I bought a T-shirt for myself somewhere. I think in a museum. What was? Other than that, yeah, I just brought a chocolate bag from the office from duty free that was not good at all. What You're was welcome. Starbucks? What was Starbucks like in in Beijing? Um. Well, the, so in Shanghai, they're everywhere. Um, and then there was one actually right next to my the host, first hotel I stayed in in um, in Beijing, and they are very popular. Um, but in Shanghai, um, I, those were places actually everywhere where people uh, spoke English um, because uh, the one near my hotel, um, I frequently in the morning, that was the only place open to get a coffee before those tours. And I was like desperately jet lagged. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of heard a lot of backlash from people, particularly in Shanghai about how many there were. And, um, the, one of the most important things to me in both cities was like finding like the good coffee. Um, and yeah, I, I, in Shanghai it was a bit easier, but you kind of did, I feel like had to go a little bit off the beaten track, kind of track down. 
the independently owned ones. Did did you uh, try any of the local independently owned coffee places? Yeah, if you're in Shanghai, uh, Seesaw Coffee is was the best that I had. Seesaw Coffee, excellent. Yeah, it was really good, and they do and, it all there. Excellent. And how did you pay for your coffee? Um, I paid for everything with cash except for the tennis tickets. Uh, it was just easier. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't have, I don't have any Chinese credit cards. I don't have any money on WeChat. Um, and I didn't want to really deal with the, uh, do you accept this card? So cash was kind of king, it was accepted everywhere. What's your plan, Mateo? happy to get it. <laughs> for, what's your plan, Mateo, for payments? Um, so I'm going to be in Shenzhen, so I'm going to take some cash. Uh, I'm going to load my Monzo card with more money to take out cash there if needed. But uh, I'm going to attempt to get credit in my WeChat account. So I've had WeChat for years now. And I believe I'm in a good enough standing that I will be allowed to, to load credit on it. But the issue is I do not have a Chinese bank account. So the way this transaction is going to have to work is that I will need to either give someone or transfer someone money. They will then send it to me as a payment or as a transfer into my WeChat account. And that should enable me to make mobile payments. Uh, we've discussed this I believe in, in many other podcasts I've been on, I'm personally a great proponent of the Chinese solution for mobile payments, which is all QR code based. It's not the over-engineered NFC, Apple Pay or Google Pay solution. It's a much simpler, much uh, more straightforward and arguably more secure system where either the shop has a static QR code, they tell you how much you need to pay you put it into the app and then take a picture of the QR code to send that amount to the shopkeeper. Or uh, they will show you a dynamic QR code generated either on their smartphone, tablet, or on the till itself. You then just take a picture of that QR code and the exact amount gets taken from your account. So it's a much simpler solution to mobile payments and apparently all the rage in China. The uh, use of cash in China over the last few years has suddenly dropped because everyone's using these mobile payment solutions, primarily Alipay, the Alibaba group uh, payment system, which is also tied to their trading platform, and uh, WeChat Pay, which is the, the government-backed uh, instant messenger. Kate, when you were in China, did you use WeChat? <laughs> I downloaded WeChat and I had one conversation with a tour guide to ask, where are you? And he replied, running late. How about you, Lukesh? When you were in China, were you using WeChat and Alipay or? Um, well, I used WeChat just as the app for communication. Uh, we set up a group uh, within uh, the tour as well. So we exchanged a few messages and, and photos. Uh, but for payments, I used Monzo mostly and cash. Uh, so when I could, I used Monzo uh, because there's zero um, conversion, extra conversion uh, rate. Uh, and normally I just would use cash. Uh, but the most interesting story I heard actually, uh, coming back to your um, discussion about WeChat payments and online and uh, mobile payments was 
so, uh, someone I spoke to uh, said um, that they were someone thought they were not Chinese. Uh, someone thought they were not Chinese because they were not using uh, mobile payments. Uh, so they they spoke Chinese. They looked Chinese, uh, but someone recognized they don't live in China permanently, but they're just visiting from another country because they didn't have WeChat and WeChat payments. So they, they literally said, you, you look Chinese, you sound Chinese, but you, you, are, you are not Chinese, which was quite eye-opening eye to me. Yes, WeChat is obviously the Tencent messaging platform, which is now the everything app for, for most people. Uh, people don't buy internet allowances for their mobile connections. They are specifically by WeChat's uh, WeChat allowances. And it's also turning into a form of identification. You don't need to carry an ID card or a passport with you if you're in China. You can just use your WeChat QR code. It's because you're, you're verified through your government ID and your bank account. It's as secure as, if not more secure than a paper ID, which is, is one of the ways China is way ahead of us in terms of this technological adoption. Yeah, I mean, like vending machines, uh, a lot of them didn't accept anything but just scanning WeChat. And then also um, there were places that to me, I didn't think they were restaurants, um, like the food tours we were going to. It, it literally felt like we were visiting someone's grandmother. And then all of a sudden she would pull out like a, a scanner. And so everybody had it. Yeah, that's that's the great thing about China. It's it is a very high adoption. So if if you're on these food tours, would your tour guide be paying for the? Yeah, the I didn't really understand ever how that worked. I mean, I obviously paid to go on it, um, but then at each so for the the dinner one, not for the breakfast, but for the dinner one, like people were just helping them. It, I, in China, a lot of restaurants and stuff, you just kind of go to the fridge and you know, grab a beverage and that you pay for it at the end. And people were taking like multiple beers per food visit. <laughs> um, and yeah, and they would settle up and I, it didn't seem like anybody ever owed extra money. So um, if you go on one of those, tip them well. I will. Um, that's <laughs> one of the things I plan on doing. Yeah. Um, obviously Hong Kong will be much easier mastercards specifically monzo mastercard is mm -hmm. accepted there there's okay. no issues with that i'm assuming that macau will be the same i'm pretty much doubtful that uh mastercard will be accepted in between the two special economic uh zones but we'll, we'll see now i'm gonna ask uh both of you a question so you both have been to both beijing and shanghai right did you guys have a preference between the two? For me, I preferred Beijing, I think. Um, maybe because I only visited Shanghai for like two days and it was the downtime for me. We didn't have, we we didn't spend too much time in, in there and we didn't have any uh, real tours. Um, so yeah, uh, Beijing was much more eventful for me. Uh, but my preference was Yangshua, which was in the mountains, uh, which is just stunning. And I'm still planning to, to share some drone footage from there uh, on Tech Travel Geeks. What about you, Mateo? Very good. Well, um, I, I need to be be brutally honest. I do prefer Shanghai just because uh, 
I found getting around and doing stuff easier. There's a much larger expat community there. Uh, a lot more services and companies are English speaking, uh, which is just very selfish of me. But uh, as a someone who visited Shanghai the first time over 11 years ago now, that was one of the easiest trips to a, to a different place that I've had just because of that. And also the, at the time, the nightclubs and and pubs and bars were amazing. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun in Shanghai. But then again, as a tech geek, and specifically a tech travel geek, I have a feeling I'm going to have a lot of fun in Shenzhen in the next week or so visiting uh, not only the electronics markets, but also some of the the companies that make a lot of the accessories and technologies that we are quite passionate about here at Tech Travel Geeks. Mm -hmm. uh, Hong, Hong Kong, uh, sorry, uh, Hong Kong overall from the big cities, but Beijing more than Shanghai for me, actually. But let, let, let's let's face it, Hong Kong doesn't really count as as actual China. A, because you don't need a visa to go there if you have, for example, a, a UK passport. Uh, but B, because it is so different even from the city that's just a few miles away, Shenzhen, because of the that border. It is a very big, very different place. Yes, but Hong Kong, if uh, you ever have a chance, it's an amazing place. It's so friendly to the, to the tourists. You can walk everywhere, uh, even though there's a lot of traffic, there's all a lot of overpasses and there's the biggest escalator in the world uh, which is just just really good fun just fun fact for you today i'm gonna go back just for that <laughs> good um so kate where is a place you haven't been yet but you would really like to go i really want to go to japan uh and then i would love to go to new zealand as well um so yeah it's something i'm actually thinking thinking about a lot lately for like what's going to be the trip um, next year. There's a lot of America that I haven't seen that I would like to see. I'd like to see uh, Maine, a lot of like the Northeast. Um, so yeah, how about yourself? Lukash? Well, Japan is very, it's I think the top of my list, but uh, I have not managed to get there yet uh, because just because you need at least two or three weeks uh, to really, really experience Japan. So Japan is really at the very top of my list. And having just visited New Zealand, I, it's my favorite place in the world, one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, so highly recommended to anyone. And you, Mata? Um, I will go with both of you there. Jap Japan's next on my list. Um, it's also in conjunction with the upcoming Rugby World Cup, which will be in Japan next year so i'm looking at trying to to coordinate a trip to japan with that event and depending on who qualifies i may be wearing both my italy shirt and my kilt at the same time who knows i briefly thought about uh oh i could go to like the tokyo 2020 olympics and then i thought do i just like enjoy going to places when it's you know just absolutely jam-packed so i'll watch it from home so who who will you be supporting in the olympics team morica um, so uh i will cheer for it, it depends uh, my family growing up we always cheered for ireland to get any medal like we would check 
check the paper before the internet, you know, in the morning of and be like, ooh, got a bronze in dressage. Uh, and so that's always like kind of just any medal. They've never won a medal at all in the Winter Olympics and anything that is brought home, uh, no matter what color in the summer is, is just celebrated. Um, and then I, for America, it's more um, certain people. I don't just cheer overall. I, and at, like track and field, I like cheering for the um, African countries uh, just cause I don't know, I guess the most pleasing to watch run fast <laughs> very good so that's the the sporting thing and what's your so, so you've mentioned japan what's your next already planned trip well i'm going to the borders at christmas <laughs> with my family with the other family um and then planned i don't think i have oh i'm going to london in december um with my mom um that it's been many times, uh, but I love going, so that'll be good. And then next year, um, like hoping to plan a big trip, I would love to um, go over to New York just for like a long weekend, do one of the direct flights, which um, is a city I really like. So hopefully I'll get to do that. I guess it all depends on time and money. Yeah, Nor Nor Norwegian fly, uh, I think, 90 miles up uh, north from New York. Mm -hmm. uh, I flew flew from the Stewart Airport, uh, and I paid 100 pounds for a one-way flight, including baggage and including extra legroom. Um, that also actually included, uh, I also had to add um, some extra for the taxi, because I missed the last bus, um, so you need to you need to plan well and in, in advance, and don't spend too much time walking around Manhattan uh, like like I did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I recommend checking out uh, the yeah, I've noticed this. Um There's multiple Norwegian, just kind of like to me, sort of random destinations and they have like these direct uh cheap flights from edinburgh now i think like providence rhode island is one yeah um, yeah uh, though with with the way the airline industry is going at the moment who knows what will happen uh breaking news uh, if we had a a bumper for this we would play it now uh Wauer, who which specialize in low-cost flights from europe to the u.s and more specifically the Euro europe to the west coast and and Florida, west coast of the US and Florida, uh, have just been bought by Iceland Air. Mm -hmm. So there's now a massive uh, Icelandic airline, which is the two biggest brands they have all in one. And uh, rumor has it uh, that Norwegian, that we were just talking about, is going to be purchased by IAG, which is the parent company of Aer Lingus, British Airways, and Iberia. So that will be a, a very big shift in the industry. And it will be interesting to see how other airlines uh, face up to that and how one airline group will be able to maintain uh, such diverse offerings from British Airways or Iberia's premium offering to Norwegian all the way through. Which reminds me, Iceland is very, very high on the list of, of my visits. Uh, Kate, have you had a chance to visit Iceland? 
Yeah, I did uh, uh, Iceland on a whim in February. So um, I had a great time, but I probably, somebody who would go when it's not covered completely in you know, feet of snow uh, would tell you it looks much different than what I saw. Um, but it was great. But the one thing I will say about Iceland is um, I was there in February, which is not the time I would recommend going, but it was really crowded. Um, so I can't really imagine what it's like during the good times. Um, My only experience with Iceland was when the volcano Eyjafjallajökull uh, exploded in 2010, I think. And yeah. all, the, all the flights in Europe got grounded and I got stuck in Poland in a small city of uh, Przemysl by the border uh, with Ukraine. Uh, so I had to stay an extra almost a week uh, in Poland, which, which was fun. So, yeah. yeah. I remember that uh, my dad was visiting me and I think he left like two days before it. And yeah, that would have been kind of not great. <laughs> he wouldn't have had anywhere to stay. <laughs> Extended his uh, holiday spending. Well, touch wood, no other volcanoes uh, go pop anytime soon. Uh, we would not want any of the uh, travelers or geeks to be inconvenienced by such an event. Um, Catherine, tell people where they can follow you on the internet. I am on Twitter, but I don't really, I, there's nothing they could find related to travel on there. But uh, if they want to follow me, it's at Kate McAnulty. Um, it's mostly just retweets of things, I guess, that I thought were funny or interesting. I don't think I do any original tweeting um, on Instagram. I don't even, I can't even think of my username. Um, Kate FM Radio? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's private. <laughs> Maybe I'll accept <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm sure I'm on a LinkedIn or an OkCupid somewhere, though, some account that has not been deleted. <laughs> Very good. So uh, I'm out there. <laughs> you're not there. Okay, then. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. That's good. So people can follow Catherine there. Uh, hopefully we'll have her back on the Tech Travel Geeks podcast. Hopefully we yeah. haven't either broken her, her internet or uh, put her off. another location. I'll do it from work. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we should do that. Uh, next next episodes with you on as a guest, we'll all do it from one place in the office. Yeah, we'll get in stored away or something. <laughs> yes, that would, that would be fun. Oh, yeah, sounds good. Okay, so thank you for being our guest on Tech Travel Geeks on the Tech Travel Geeks podcast and the live recording on YouTube. Uh, Lukash, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Elsuliga and uh, on Instagram, Lukash Suliga, and on Tech Travel Geeks. Uh, we're working on a few uh, interesting uh, videos. Uh, so Check it out on, on YouTube. Uh, we've recently, yes, spoiler alert, uh, the, the really lovely Honor 8X is one of the devices we're, uh, we've been playing with. Yes, so we, we've got quite a lot lined up to review. We're working on a joint review on the Huawei Mate 20 Pro with those three amazing cameras on the back. Not one. Not just one, not two, but three cameras. Um, and yes, yes we're, um, we're both very proud of our Mate 20 Pros. <laughs> I was quite impressed earlier just sitting on the sofa how useful that wide angle lens is to get pictures of the cat lying on your lap. 
it's 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 impressive so more on that on techtravelgeeks.com and the videos and sample videos and unboxings here on youtube at the youtube tech travel geeks channel if you haven't already please do subscribe to see our latest uh productions hitting the internet and thank you for listening if you're uh listening to the audio podcast of this you can find us wherever you get good podcasts including apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher pocket casts and more thanks for listening everyone good night bye good night